Blog Talk Radio. This is the Pop Rocks Radio Talk Show. I'm your host, Pop Art Painter Jamie Rocks, and this is the big show. You found it. I sure I'm glad you did. Very, very cool. I am so excited for today's show. We've got a fantastic director. Uh, new movie just came out, um, and it is uh, actually coming out. It's coming out. It's not even out yet. How about that? Uh, not for another three days or so, if my notes are correct here. But without further, the name of the movie is Cram. And the director is Amy Seidel. I hope I'm saying that right. Seidel? Uh, Seidel, yeah. Hey, Jamie, thanks so Seidel. much for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, very, very cool, man. I Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being on. I really dug your movie. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. I'm so glad people are finally going to be able to have the chance to watch it this Friday. Yeah, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. On St. Patrick's Day of all days. Not that it has exactly. anything to do with the movie at all. But, um, no, I was, uh, you know, I've been telling people about this. I said, you know, really, if you've been to college, and, I'm, and normally, you know, when people say that, they're like, oh, they're going to give us our their graduate uh, story. No, <laughs> this isn't graduate school, any type of schooling, not even really college. If you've had to cram well, you get it. You get it. And, um, man, I uh, I wouldn't want to credit. Although I predict, no, nope, I don't want to give anything away. I want people to watch it this Friday. <laughs> but I think if if I'm right on this, and this is one of those films, you know, I could be or I could not be. I think some of the things would happen to our protagonist, even if he wasn't in the library. Is the library indicative of what happens? I don't know. My opinion is it's it's not, but I could be wrong. It's a great it's a great point, Jamie. I think you know you're getting at something that I was really hoping uh, people who watch this movie would connect with, which is the fact that school in our country, at least, is you know not really designed to educate. It's really designed no. to make people conform to a certain mold. Uh, and that is a mold that is really, you know, best suited for the neurotypical, for a specific type of person from a specific type of background. Uh, and Mark, the lead character in the movie, um, and many people uh, don't fit in that mold. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, for the listeners out there, um, I'm going to tell you something, that, especially younger ones, um, that I tried. It failed miserably. Failed miserably. But I remember mm. telling my father this. I think I picked it up somewhere. I don't think I came up with this on my own. I might have. I don't know. Um, but I remember telling my father, um, you know, I said, well, you know, Dad, grades are a level of responsibility, not ability. And um, although technically I feel that's true, he wasn't going for it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, it didn't work yeah, at all. Yeah, totally, man. But I, I get it. And, and the pressure, 
you know, and it's so crazy too, because here's the reality. Um, when you're in school and you're in these situations, immense pressure, immense pressure, and especially if you're paying for this stuff, you know? Um, yeah. It, it's almost too much pressure. And then the weird thing is you get out of school and you're like, ah, that was nothing. I'm going through a divorce now, or whatever the case <laughs> may be, you know? And you're like, gee, I wish I would sign up for more of what I had in uh, in that library. No, no, you wouldn't. But... um. What a cool movie! I like this movie. It's uh, it's trippy, and it's kind of mind bending, and that's right up my alley, personally. You know, this is a cool movie. I'm glad to hear. You I know, school it. didn't really make sense to me, so uh, I think it would be very disingenuous if I were to make a movie that were perfectly coherent and laid out in a you know organized and 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 kind of clear way. When in reality, most of us go through school not really knowing what to do or knowing who we are. And I wanted the movie no. to sort of reflect that insecurity. <laughs> no, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, um, for the number of people I knew in college that uh, were getting communications degree, I would say about, you know, maybe 2% of them were actually in communications. <laughs> sure. It's one of those weird things. And they paid for it. That's the crazy part. Or somebody did at least, um, you know. Yeah, you know, it's um, funny you say that, Jamie, because I feel like if you were to describe – a person who, you know, made you offer or who who seduced you into offering yourself up for years of your life in exchange for maybe the promise of some future power or position. Well, I don't think you'd be so far-fetched to call that person a vampire. Absolutely. I think what we were doing with Cram was really just saying, well, then really school is a vampire. Right, and you know, does it did it manifest itself? There's some supernatural. Cool, this is almost like one of those Jacob Ladder type movies, you know, where where you watch it, and and it's not a long movie either. I wanted I wanted to mention that as well. Yeah. Um I was kind of surprised because uh, I for some reason, you know, it's in the I get this package of uh, you know the whole kit thing of uh, when we have a guest coming on uh, of what what you know what they're doing. And it was in there. I just, when I was reading through it, I skipped over that part, I guess, because I was surprised. I'm like, wait, that's, is there a part two? What's, not that it mm. left me hanging, just from the length of the movie. Um, what, what was this? Uh, it was less than an hour, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, it was about 45 minutes. Wow. Wow. Too long to be considered a short film. But... Yeah. Um, I don't think anybody judges, anybody I know, they don't judge a movie on, on movie length, you know. I don't know. My no, wife bitches about it if it's a three-hour movie. You know, she's like, really? <laughs> director's cut, Jamie? You know? What yeah, totally. Possibly? You know, I think I think audiences typically uh, prefer shorter movies. I think that, you know, I like a long movie. Anyone who loves cinema is going to love the chance to dive into a movie. But with Cram... Um, like you say, it's you know a little too long to be a short film. It's a little too short to be a feature. We've heard the term featurette thrown around, which I like a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, most film festivals actually did consider it a feature, and it was programmed as one um, across the board. Nice. Uh, yeah. Nice. And we have links up, folks. We have links to the uh, the main website, uh, Facebook, Instagram, all of that. Um, but I wanted to mention the reason I mentioned that if you go to the main website there. Uh, look at the accolades. Speaking of film festivals here, man. Look, audience Thanks, award Jimmy. winner in Austin, man. They're a bunch of weirdos. You know, 
You know what they like, and it's cool, you know? Thank you, Jamie. It's really true. You know, we premiered at the Austin Film Festival, and we, like you said, we won the audience award there, which was really uh, one of the most transformative experiences, both for myself as a filmmaker and for the whole group of people who made this movie. And I do want to stress there that, you know, movies are not made by one person. Uh, I've been on this press right. tour, and everyone's talking to me, but cram is only possible because of the hard work of, of you know, over 60 amazing artists. And when we were in Austin, uh, it was so exciting that the audience members were coming up to us after the screening, you know, throughout, for the whole week of the festival, finding us on the street and just telling us how personally they connected to Graham. Um, and I think it's been amazing to see how people are really responding on a personal level. You know, we've all struggled in school. That was the sort of funny thing. You know, I was a really terrible student growing up, but uh, I thought I knew that Cram would connect to the other terrible students out there. But I learned over the course of making the movie that good students and bad students alike, we've all had the same nightmares about school. No, absolutely. And yeah, absolutely. right. Yeah. Oh so, man, uh, it's been amazing to see everyone connecting to Cram in that way. Well, it's very cool, and I'll tell you know for those listening out there, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you a little for those not in the creative world, um, you know that you, you work a job, you sell insurance, whatever you're doing. Um, you know, nothing wrong with that. Tip of the hat to you. Thank you for doing it. Um, but I'll tell you something from the creative people, artists, I'm talking, you know, those weirdos. There is no, all we want is for people to dig what we're doing. That's why the Rolling Stones are still on tour, ladies. They, they don't need any more money. They're addicted to it. They want people to like what they're doing, <laughs> you know? Yeah, totally. So when your friend's band is playing and he's, or your friend's DJing at some club or something, you know, it's very important to them, you say, to them to to show support. <laughs> you know, if they're making a film, watch it, leave a review, <laughs> tell people about it. Oh, keeps us it's, our clock tower. It's true, you know, Jamie. Yeah. You, you called the movie like trippy uh, uh, earlier, and I think that's actually. Um, an interesting point because part of why I want the movie to sort of have this dreaminess to it, this sort of spacious quality is because I think at least speaking for myself, when a movie gives me the room to dream, I am engaged more on a personal level. And I think that because Cram takes you on this journey and, and provides the audience with the opportunity to project their own experience onto the movie, I think people are able to connect in a more personal way. That's at least my hope. And um, we've been lucky Absolutely. enough to see it happen. Absolutely. And just think, folks, she thought that weird art school girl was, was just thought she was a vampire. She might have been one. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> no. Um, this is a very surreal movie, but it's not surreal to the point of abstraction where you can't follow it or, or understand what's going on. If you've got a couple brain cells together, you, you can – this film's, you know, pretty cool. It, it ain't Porky's. You know, um, it's not a college romp, but it's funny. It's very, it's got some funny parts in it, um, you know, Thanks. but it's got some surreal parts too, which I dig. Very dreamlike, very dreamlike. And we've been there, man. We've all been there. Yeah. Did, let me ask you this. Now, when you were a youngster, where did you, where did you grow up? Where'd you cut your teeth at? I'm from, uh, I'm from New York City. I'm from Queens. Okay. New York guy. A New Yorker. Did you know that Superstar Director was going to be, like, what you were going to be doing? Oh, man, I don't know if I'd use the word superstar myself, but I appreciate the epithet. Um, I think, 
you know, I knew that I knew from a very early age that I wanted to tell stories. Um, mm. There was a time where I was an actor in high school for a while. I acted in a lot of shows, and I think for a, a time I fantasized about about doing that. I always loved performing, um, but uh, I remember I discovered writing in high school and quickly learned that my chops as an actor just weren't quite up to par. Um, and I very quickly fell in love. With, I, you know, I've been in love with movies my whole life. Um, I like to say that I was raised in part by, uh, I have these, I have the extended editions of the Lord of the Rings and these box sets mm. had, you know, 12 hours of behind the scenes features and I would just watch them over and over and over again. And that was really where I learned that filmmaking was a job that you could have in the first place. Right. And I think, you know, as, as soon as I saw that, oh, I, you know, up to that point as a kid, you think, I think every kid thinks that a movie, all movies are documentaries, you know, where did they film Star Wars in a galaxy far, far away, you know? Um, right. And then you suddenly learn at a certain age that actually movies are creations by people on this planet. And uh, it really opened my world up. Unfortunately, I couldn't get to New Zealand in time to work on the Lord of the Rings. Uh, so I made <laughs> do in New York City. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Well, you know, I, I, and for those who uh, know me personally that are listening, I, they know I am a huge, huge um, Tolkien not love the movies. Um, you know, I'm probably going to piss people off. I even like the Amazon thing. I, you know, I just like sure. that world, you know? Um, I'm with you, man. Can't get enough. Can't get enough. I, I, my wife's the Star Wars nut in our house, but I watch The Mandalorian, man. It's cool. <laughs> you know? I enjoy totally. it. Um, you know, I like a space western. Nothing wrong with that. Now I'm definitely going to get emails on that. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) no, Lord of the Rings was great. And, you know, it's it's so cool. Um, After Crazy, those those were crazy movies because I always catch new stuff. I've seen those movies a million times. And I was just watching uh, the other day, I finally talked my wife into the director's, uh, the extended editions. And um, so we're watching it. And I think we're watching, yeah, we're watching Fellowships where the Black Rider shows up. And the horse, uh, the Black Rider's horse has nails up through his hooves, you know, like, mm. like ugly. And I've never noticed that before. And I'm like, hey, wait a second. I've seen this movie a million times. How did I miss that? Of course, they would be shown cruelly, you know. Um, totally. I yeah, love that. I'm cool. a big, I'm a big believer that, you know, every department on a film is given the opportunity to express you know, the meaning of the story, to tell the story kind of in their own medium. And so I really, you know, don't believe, like I said earlier, movies are not made by one person. And I think that, you know, my production designer, Sidney Emanuel, our cinematographer, Felix Hansa, our editor, Trevor Wallace, all of these people are telling the story themselves as well. And I think that a movie is almost always better than the sum of its parts if you kind of empower your collaborators to take uh, their own, you know, authorship, to take ownership over their own, expression and i think you know peter jackson when i watched those behind the scenes features growing up i always saw that i always saw how many of these people were so independently passionate about the art they were making for the movie oh yeah oh yeah and you know you know peter jackson gets invited to any party he wants to go to you know he doesn't go to parties because he's like yeah what's the point (laughs) but um you know uh, everybody wants to work with him you know i would imagine in that world i'm not in the film business but I would imagine that's how it is. But you assembled 
a great team because everything came through. I didn't watch your movie and went, ah, this is too dark. I can't see anything. A card season three. I'm looking at you, but hey, I'm like that. No, I'm not one of those people that's very critical of things, but unless you need to be, you know, unless it's just glaringly. Sure. Ugh. But your film was great, and it um, everybody involved. The, and of course, everybody focuses on the actors because that's what they see, you know, first. Of course. Um, but I love the set. I love the actors. I love the story, and I love how the story was told. Uh, you know, maybe you, you did. You're a very good conductor, I have to say. The, uh, Thank the you so much. Is great. <laughs> you, Thanks, know? you know, it's funny. It's funny what you say about the actors because something I say on set actually is I really do believe that in some way everyone on every department is acting. Um, I remember a conversation I had with uh, our focus puller on the movie, um, mm-hmm. James. This is his name, and I was talking to James, and I was telling him that I really believe his job is to act. His job is to be present emotionally in the scene with the actors. Because he would often say, do you want me to pull focus from this character to this character on this line or on this line? And I would say, I want you to feel it. I want you to feel when the moment is appropriate to do it based on the emotion of the scene. And I think that everyone on the movie, I, I really cool. try to encourage to engage in that way. That's awesome. So you're not one of those directors um, that, that has to... Um, well, you obviously are, are, are watching everything. You've got control of everything. But it isn't. You're not micromanaging every aspect of it. You're trusting. No, I mean, people. I feel like you don't. I do trust people. I think you have to. I think you know. There's this strange narrative that has been pervasive in movie making for a long time that you have to be some sort of tyrant to make a movie. Mm-hmm. And I really believe that you know, if you believe that filmmaking can only happen as a result of conflict, then you're just inviting conflict into the process. I think right. that the best way to make a movie is to empower the people you're making a movie with. If I wanted to make art by myself, I'd be like a, a sculptor um, in, you know, Montana or something. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it, you know, and it's, it's so good. I, uh, you know, it's cool. IMDb lists this as a dark fantasy. And at first I'm like, mm. what the hell is that? You know, is there going to be a wizard in this? Um, what, what's, <laughs> what's going on? You know? Um, but I would, describe it as a fantasy horror, a dark fan. Absolutely. You know, that fits. Um, this is a cool, cool story. And it's, it's, it was told to me in a way that I could, uh, I could understand. And yet still it left room for my own mind to, to add what it needed to add. You know, the, the experience I got from watching this is probably different than what other people got. And I think Absolutely. that's cool. That's good art. Thank you. I really man. appreciate that. It yeah. is. You know, you really do want to. I really do believe that you're absolutely right. I want to create space for people to have their own experiences. I, I'm not interested in a movie that. I'm not interested in making message movies. You know, a movie that sort of tells you right. what it's about or what it, what I think. I don't. People shouldn't be interested in what I think. I think that the movie is there for to to provoke people to to ask questions of themselves. You know, um, not to get into spoilers, but. The, the crucial story in Cram is, is one of a, a young guy who's really lost. He's a really struggling student. And in this movie, he goes on a very difficult journey. But the, one of the consequences of that journey is that he's forced to confront the parts of himself that he's been afraid to look at. And I think in that way, that relates to all of us. All of us have a version of ourselves, oh, a part yeah. of ourselves that lives, you know, in some dark corner of our mind. 
and uh, you know, on the wrong night, we can end up face to face with it. Absolutely, absolutely, and it's so weird too. You know, speaking of which, I we, we had um, a friend of ours had a birthday recently, and um, uh, so we had kind of had a get together at our house, and, and she may have indulged a little too much. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, and we've all been there, you know, and it was funny because I was talking to my wife um, afterwards. And she stayed the night, you know, and we made sure she was okay and she was fine. Uh, she was feeling it the next day, baby. But um, that evening we were in bed and I was telling my wife, you know, we were talking and I said, you know, I think the worst part of what she's going through isn't going to be the physical aspects of what she's dealing with tomorrow. It's going to be the what she doesn't remember. Do I need to check my phone? How embarrassed should I be? What did I do? You know? Um, Absolutely. And I remember being in those situations when I was a little younger, more than a few times. And um, it was the worst. It was the worst. But it was so interesting that I caught myself going, well, you're not in that situation now. Don't be too judgy, you know, because. (laughs) <laughs> Try to be supportive, you know. It, this could be you, and it has been you. And when exactly. You know what's funny about that? I thought about it. Oh, sorry know. to interrupt you, Jamie. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Go ahead. What's Finish so, your thought, man. Finish your thought. Yeah, what's so funny about that is, like, I think that's why school is such fertile ground for, for these types of experiences. You know, many of us in this country spend our first 20, 25 years of life kind of in these institutions. And so that's an incredibly formative chapter it's the most formative chapter of our life and all Mm -hmm. of it spent in school um a good you know example of that is my grandmother who just turned 93 years old she told me recently that you know she spent more of her life working than she was in school and yet she never once has had a dream about work and she still dreams about school absolutely absolutely because it's weird it's this weird thing and and this film kind of points it makes it made me think about it with jobs and when you're working for somebody or, you know, at a place or whatever, you know, if worse comes to worse, you can say, yeah, screw that. I'm going to go work somewhere else. I can always get a yeah. crappy job. You know, I can, moving laterally in this country is very easy. You know, it's trying to move ahead of where you're at. That's the, do that jump. And really in school, we all could have done that as well. <laughs> we all could have went, yeah, I've had enough. I'm out of here. I'm not dealing with this, you know, but we didn't, it didn't, that didn't even enter into my mind when I was going through this stuff, you know? Um, yeah. It's, it's really stressful. True. Yeah. Stressful. And that's why people get weird in school too. You know, that's, that's the other thing. Um, those with children, with youngsters in school, yeah, they're going to be weirdos, man. Your, your son's going to come home with nail varnish on or something, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's part of it. You know? <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, I think it's interesting. You're getting at the something important, I think, which is, you know, jobs are, there's a sort of transaction we make with our employers. I'll do this for money. You know, it's very explicit. It's very clear. Right. And I think in school, that promise, it's just as transactional, but the deal is much more nebulous. Like, what is it that I'm actually getting in exchange for 25 years of labor, you know? And there's a reason, without spoilers, I'll say there's a reason that Cram, I think, like most of our academic experiences, ends with uh, something of a joke on a piece of paper, you know? Right. (laughs) It's so true. It's so true. College is weird, man. Anyway, you know, 
I was just talking to my wife about this. Her, my father-in-law, love him to death, love him to death, he's listening. One of the things, and I had said this to him many times, but I don't understand. He's very invested in his um, the, the college he went to. Like, he, he gets those letters, you know, like we all get those letters, you know. Um, can you, uh, you know, we're all meeting up at blah, 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 where they try to get more money out of you. I'm like, why are you giving them more money? Are they giving you more classes? Are they doing anything for you? The deal is done, man. What are you doing? I, I don't do that. There is none. <laughs> I would never do that. Totally. You know? Oh, my gosh. You already it's ripped true. me off. But you know, we really, we really can't. I mean, I feel like. You know, I, I try not to judge anyone in this. You know, it's so hard. It's so hard in this country to mm-hmm. make a living doing anything. And I'm so lucky that I'm able to make art. And I'm also able to do it because I have the support of a bunch of people, you know. Uh, and I think right. that the movie is in so many ways about someone who is who is isolated. And the, the reality is one of the strangest things I learned making Cram, like I said earlier, was that it's not just bad students. Good students also share these nightmares. But the feelings we have in school that isolate us, we, we believe that we're the only person in the world struggling. And at least personally, I always believed I was the only one struggling. I thought everyone else in class seems to have figured it out, but I haven't. And I think the reality is everyone's struggling, and it's hard for everybody. Yeah, that's so, very yeah. – it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Well, the cool thing is, is your movie's coming out. You finished it. Was this – this is the weirdest thing. I did not know before I started doing the podcast. And, I mean, I knew people in the, in the business, but I really didn't get it. I mean, we kind of BSed a little bit, but I never got in the meat and potatoes of it. Um, I was one of these people, a civilian out here. I'd put on the television and, you know, watch a movie or a show or something. I'm like, ah, they, they did a pretty good job on this. They made it last month probably, and, uh, yeah, it was great, you know. I liked it. had no idea that movie time is totally different than the normal linear time that I was used to. Was this a sure. long process um, or did it go oh pretty God. quick? No, this was definitely a long process. Um, at this point, you know, I've been working on cram for almost four years, uh, almost oh. an undergraduate degree. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, man, that's but, a bachelor's you know, right there, right? Exactly. Oh my. And probably, to be honest, much more worthwhile than any film school education that I could ever have. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. Um, you can go into a film with Cram. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'll, say, I'll say this. Making a movie like Cram is cheaper than like one year of film school for people, and it'll teach you a million times more than you can learn in film school. So my, I definitely encourage people to do this instead of that. But I'll say that we had a really protracted production period, in part because we started filming right before the pandemic, and then we had to shut oh, down production. Um, and so there was oh, a long chapter geez. here where I wasn't sure we'd ever finish. Uh, which Holy was moly. <laughs> I can't even imagine, because, folks, what you, what you, yes, everybody, number one, you get all these actors together. This is how I envision this going down, is you get everybody involved. The actors, everybody that's involved making this film, you got them, to, you know, you get them to the party, and then you can't, you got to shut down for a bit, uh, for for you don't know how long. But then you know that you got to reherd all those cats, get everybody back together, and things happen in life. You know, you said there's 60 people working on this, that, you know, 60 marriages, 60 families, 60, fa- you know, I mean, things yeah. happen. Um, you know, 
Jane, who's like so Libra, might move to London or something. You know, how do you get her back? You know, it's, yeah. it's crazy. Um, it was a and at the challenge. Same time, Oh, finish your thought. No. no, please. I was just going to say it was a tremendous challenge, and you know, it took us nine months, and it's really only thanks to our producer Zach Bailey, who you know led the charge on uh, on executing a safe uh, production during a time it was still pre-vaccine. It was you know pretty early on, all things considered, and we were able to pull it off. But um, yeah, sorry, I didn't need to cut you off. Well, I didn't know who uh, whose name who who Zach was. But I was just going to mention, at the same time that you're thinking about all this and make, trying to make plans, and, 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 you know, in this vacuum of we don't know what's going to happen, um, the producers, investors are probably calling up or at least texting, saying, ah, maybe, when am I going to get that money, the return on investment there, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I wrote a pretty big check. <laughs> what's happening? It's really true. But I will say there's one strange perk out of all of that. Um, Overall, it was very difficult and challenging, and I would never like to do it again. But I will say uh, having nine months with half a movie gave us this incredibly unique opportunity to sit with that footage, cut it together, really see what we had before we made the rest of the movie. So when we Mm. make the rest of the movie, we were more prepared than anyone has ever been on a movie because we actually got to sit with half of the movie. And, you know, there's this strange thing that happens when you're making movies where they say that every movie is an education in making itself, which is to say that by the end of making Cram, I'm an expert in making Cram. The problem is I'll never get to make Cram again. This time, however, I was. I was able to take all those lessons I'd learned and apply them. And now, folks, a couple quick messages from some of our show sponsors. Stay tuned. We'll be back with the rest of the interview after these quick messages. Listen to this cool episode ad-free. If you're a VIP member, you can become one on my website, www.jamierocks.us, www.jamierox.us. Hey, rockers. This is Stacey Lane Wilson, author and editor of the Rock and Roll Nightmares book series. I have a new podcast that features interviews with musicians, artists, authors, filmmakers, and music historians. In Season 1, I interview Phil Toussaint from Ozzy Osbourne's band, Scott Crawford, the director of the Cream Magazine documentary, Lisa S. Johnson, the award-winning author and photographer of the books 108 Rockstar Guitars and Immortal Axes, just to name a few. The Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast explores the dark and mysterious and sometimes funny side of music from the 60s, 70s, 80s, and beyond. Enjoy on RSS or anywhere you like to listen to podcasts. Glittering amethyst, energizing citrine, colorful fluorite, the other side of the sun, Earth's treasures brought to light. Since 1999, we have offered a unique collection of hand-selected minerals and gems for every budget, for novices, collectors, and healers. Visit www.tosots.com to view our wide selection of offerings and use coupon code ROCKS 
That's R-O-X-X for 10% off your first order. Remember, T-O-S-O-T-S dot com. Earth's treasures brought to light. Hi folks, Jamie Rocks here. Hey, if you're a big fan of uh, historical, cool historical books, uh, like me, then you're going to want to check out our newest uh, show sponsor, Michelle Albion. Uh, fantastic author. She's got some really interesting, cool books out uh, that you're going to want to check out. I'm a big fan of all of these. Uh, the Florida Life of Thomas Edison, the quotable Edison, quotable Henry Ford, uh, quotable Eleanor Roosevelt, and of course, the quotable Amelia Earhart. Uh, Michelle's just very keen and, and very, very cool. Um, and these are just very cool books. So check out her website. Uh, there's links to uh, where you can pick these up on Amazon and Barnes & Noble all over the place. Uh, MichelleAlbion.com, M-I-C-H-E-L-E-A-L-B-I-O-N.com, MichelleAlbion.com. Very, very cool stuff. Check it out, folks. Well, the great thing about that, too, is, and I tell people this all the time, I mean, it's a weird thing in our country Everybody wants to um, to make their art. Everybody, uh, about ninety percent of the people that want to make art want to do so to be famous. And um, you know, the reality is, is the more work you do, the better you get at it. No matter what you're doing, if you're making bread, the more loaves of bread you bake, the better that you get at making bread. You know, absolutely. And, you know, nobody wants to put in that work. You got to make the bread. That's the problem. Um, you know, and then everybody will love you and you'll be the most famous bread maker ever. That's how that works. That's but I mean, at least everybody I know that's successful at something, they worked a lot, you know? Um, Absolutely. And if we're able to <laughs> be spontaneous on set, you know, in the way I was describing earlier, if I'm able to trust people, it's only because we all prepare so much. You know, I do rehearsal, right. which is not very common in the film world. Really? But I love to rehearse. No, yeah. it's not. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. That's what you're supposed to do it, though, right? Well, I, I think so. I mean, I'm always baffled. There are so many filmmakers out there I know who seem to say that they're, like, afraid of rehearsal. They're afraid it's going to ruin the spontaneity of the performance. But I can't imagine, you know, there's no position other than the actors that those same filmmakers would say, oh, I don't, the last thing I want is my gaffer to, to know anything about the lights he's going to use. I mean, that's insane. <laughs> I think rehearsal is so important. And it's also important as a director, you know, my job is really to, to learn. Every actor speaks a different language, I like to say. And my job is to become, if not fluent, then conversational in their languages so that I know how to reach them when we're there on the day. And so rehearsal isn't just about talking about the movie and the characters and the scenes. It's also about just getting to know these people that I'm going to work with very intimately. Because when it comes time on the day, we might only have two takes to get it right. Right. Well, that's just it, too. And that's what's something I don't think people, a lot of people um, may not have ever even thought about. When you're making a movie and, you know, and, and maybe I'll tell you, you, you got to set a, a location to film some. It's like riding in a taxi cab. The meter's running, usually. They don't just say, yeah, Eddie, knock yourself out, you know. Give me the keys back when you're finished. Turn the lights out. No. They, you know, <laughs> people have schedules got to get things it's done. It's really true. Production is so expensive, and it's so so much has to be packed into it. You know, it's crazy. I said I've been working on Cram for almost four years, but only ten, we only had 10 days of shooting. 
So mm. that, wow. that I don't Think know about if that, that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. Th- I don't think that sounds like very much. And I know that those days were all packed to the brim. And you know, again, credit to my crew and and uh, my AD, uh, who also is my co-editor, Trevor Wallace really steered the ship to just make sure that we were getting everything we needed to get throughout that whole experience. But it's so hectic. And, you know, when you're actually on set, you know, I don't have the luxury of, of getting dreamy and like really being creative as an artist. All of that opportunity right. is really in the prep phase and in the post-production. When you're on set, you have to be the captain of the ship. You have to just execute. That's amazing. That's amazing. Now, Amy, uh, not to get into your personal life or anything, but what amazes me, you've, you've, you've done your, this artwork took four years to do. Um, yeah. You know, I don't know if you're married or you have a partner or something. I know my wife. If I said, you know, hey, dear, uh, her name's Danny. I said, hey, Danny, uh, this is what I'm going to be doing for the next four years. She'd be like, um, that's great, Picasso, but we need a new washing machine. We need this. We need that. <laughs> you know, you better figure it out. I don't know if it's going to be delivering pizzas or what, but. You know, and you're doing this on the weekend, but you better figure it out. I don't know how you filmmakers do it, you know, because I don't know if I could make that sale, you know, at home here. No, it's really, it's so real. I mean, the reality is part of why it took four years is because we do have to do it on weekends and nights. And, you know, I think everyone working on Cram has, has a day job or had a day job at the time. And we're all just trying to find a way to fit this into our lives. And the hard part you know, I do have a partner, and she, uh, for what it's worth, she's a nurse, and she became a nurse right at the start of the pandemic, and it was oh, obviously man. a very challenging experience for her. Yeah, but it was how do you a go good reminder. To that? <laughs> how do you go home bitching about what happened on set or with the movie? Oh man, it was. <laughs> and she's like, well, you know, realize I'm a nurse, and yeah, the exactly. world is falling but, apart right now. Honestly, for you me, it was, really, it was so humbling in such an important way because it was an incredible reminder that what I do, of course, is important and has the ability to move people in really profound ways, but it's, the stakes are not life or death of what, in the work that I do. Right. And I think it's actually good for artists to know that the stakes are not life or death. I think some artists maybe, you know, think of themselves that way. Um, and so living with someone Absolutely. who really is working with life or death stakes every day I'm just reminded that I do have the luxury of time. You know, part of how I'm able to be, I hope, a good partner uh, or a good brother or a good son or whatever it is, is by allowing myself to take time. You know, I I really try to fit these projects, fit my movies into my life. You know, I don't want the art to become my entire life. I do care a lot about the people in my life, too. (laughs) Yeah, and it's it's easy. And here's here's the thing. Here's the quicksand. When your name's on the door, and and you're the face of something, and let's yeah. face it, with film, a lot of directors are in that seat. You know, I'm like, oh, that movie was terrible. You know, uh, nobody says, oh, that was really bad writing in that movie, or that was a really poor soundtrack. No, they blame the director. Same thing when it's a success. <laughs> You know, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but Amy's cool. He mentioned everybody, you know. He's given the accolades or the accolades to do. And, uh, you know, well-deserved, well-earned. Um, oh, man, that's crazy. That's crazy. You know, and the, the yeah. cool thing, though, is, you know, having the you – know, if somebody cuts their arm off or something while you guys are filming, you can always just call your wife. Hey, what should we – bring her to the hospital, Amy. <laughs> that's what you should do. Jeez. What's wrong? 
I can't leave the set. We got to get four more scenes in today. No, it's really I'm, no, it's great. <laughs> but that's the funny thing is that really, you know, when you're making an independent film, you know, you're joking. But she also was uh, one of our health and safety consultants because yeah. it has to be it has to be a family affair when you're making an independent movie. Um, we don't have the resources to hire, you know, so many people uh, outside of our own circle. And one of the benefits of growing up in New York is I've been able to kind of cultivate a creative community around me that's so rich, filled with so many wonderful people. But it's all friends and family, you know, making a movie at this level. And I, my intention, frankly, is to keep it that way. Obviously, I'd love access to more resources and the ability to, like, do this primarily. But I do think that, um, you know, you, it, it's such a vulnerable uh, experience making a movie, especially when you're writing and directing, because I'm really trying to put myself out there. And the only way I can do that well is to be really open with everyone. Um, and th- it's so much easier to do with people you're already friends with. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, folks, if, if Abe was to move to California, it, it would be a month. He'd be riding around the set on a golf court with his little, you know, dog, his little chihuahuas. But no, I'm, I'm He's a down-to-earth guy. That wouldn't happen, ladies and gentlemen. We don't think. Thanks, um, <laughs> but it would be cool to have one of those guys. At least get one of those things you look through. The lens, you know, like all the old directors. That's the beat of mill and all that. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're filming digital. You don't have to worry about that. Um, exactly. Although I do have this thing that all directors do where they, you know, you hold up a rectangle with your hands. That one will never get old. Uh, I see. And he wears the jumpers. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, you mentioned in passing that you edited this as well. Um, so you were kind of, and this is so true, indicative of so many independent filmmakers that I know. Um, in all reality, Amy, how many hats did you wear on this? A lot? Oh, man. Um, oh, so many hats. Yeah. I mean, um, I also did some visual effects on the movie. Um, I, as a fun little aside, I sang for one uh, of the pieces of music that our incredible composer, Daniel Rudin, composed. But I will say, as far as the editing is concerned, so I co-edited the movie with um, Trevor Wallace, who, like I said earlier, was also my assistant director. And Trevor and I, you know, I think it's so important, frankly, to, to edit my own work. I'm baffled by filmmakers who aren't kind of intimately involved with the edit, because that's really where the movie is made. It's, I think, the unsung part of the process. But, yeah, it's everything. I mean, we have dramatically reshaped scenes and moments in Cram in the edit. And also, because of that nine-month hiatus, we had so much time to play around. And Trevor and I explored so much. Um, And the benefit of having a co-editor, too, is that, you know, there are sequences that we filmed that I had a lot of anxiety about editing, mostly because I'm carrying with me some of the anxiety of making them. Maybe that day was really busy or really hard. And so I don't even want to look at the footage because it reminds me of how tense I felt on set. And so having a co-editor to say, well, Trevor, why don't you take a first pass on that scene? And then I can look at it and realize that, okay, actually, we have something that maybe works. Um, so it's amazing. It's an amazing collaboration, and I'm so lucky to work with him. That's amazing. And then you teamed up with uh, Terror Films, right? That, that's uh, Yeah. The terror is just how cool. Those yeah. guys are really cool. The folks over there are awesome. They make movies themselves, uh, as I understand it. So they know, you know, they, they know where you're coming from. How was oh, that experience seriously. working with them? Oh, man. So, yeah, thank you for asking. Uh, so Terra Films, you know, they're doing something really interesting. And I think uh, Joe, who runs the, the show over there, uh, really deserves a tremendous amount of credit. You know, you mentioned Cram's runtime earlier. 
And the reality is Cram does have this unconventional, irregular runtime. But, um, you know, as a New York artist and not a Hollywood hack or whatever, my belief is that there's no set length to any work of art. Um, and right. these conventions don't exist from the perspective of the artist. They exist from the perspective of the business. And, you know, Joe really does believe that a good movie can make a good product. And we, were, we had a hard time getting distribution for this movie because, uh, you know, the audience never mentioned the runtime and we would continue to pick up audience awards. But every distributor would say, do you have a longer cut? And I remember when we finally got connected with Terror, Joe right away was like, I think that this is a good movie, and I think that the audience out there is clearly agreeing, and that's how you get a movie out there. And, you know, everything else is nonsense. And, you know, it really felt like we finally found someone who just understood that the landscape has shifted to allow for unconventional movies that take risks. You know, the movie's going to premiere on Friday on Tubi, which is free to watch. You know, if you're that's scrolling awesome. Tubi, it's amazing. And you don't have to, you know, you can take risks when you're on a platform like that because you're not spending $20 to see Cram and because it's only 45 minutes of your time. So I really think Tubi is an amazing platform for a lot of reasons. And I think the future of independent cinema is, you know, being stewarded by people like Joe at Terror Films, by Tubi, who understand that this is a landscape mm-hmm. where filmmakers can now take risks too. So a movie like Cram, which is maybe a little more out there than some of the conventional fare you might be used to, well, it's only 45 minutes long. So, you know, if you're sitting there maybe cramming for a test late at night and you need a study break, why don't you throw on cram? Absolutely. Absolutely. I like Tubi a lot. And I'll tell you, in our house, um, you know, we, we're we not doing too too shabby. We, we could afford all the streaming platforms. We have, uh, you know, several. But even coming from that point of view, me and my wife have had conversations of, and, and this is very true for any of these, uh, if anybody's out there listening from these, these streaming sort sites, we're like, ah, eh, do we, what do we drop in next? Do we drop Netflix? Mm-hmm. Do we drop, you know, this or that? Oh, I like this on Hulu or I like this on whatever, you know? One of the things, though, the reality is, is if they were doing like they used to do the old Nielsen rating thing in our house. Sure. We watch a lot of Tubi, and we watch Pluto TV, and people are like, yeah, but you got commercials then. I don't give a shit. <laughs> you know, doesn't matter. I yeah. can get up and use the washroom or make a sandwich or something. I can take the dog out or whatever, you know. Um, and my dog fully understands now. Her name is Mei Ling. I'm like, Mei Ling, got to wait till the next commercial. <laughs> She's like, not a problem. I got it. <laughs> Thanks for letting me know. Um, but it's it's you know, and Tubi's one of those great platforms where, yeah, you can, um, you know, watch uh, or uh, stuff for free. And I think it's great that you guys are on there, you know. Me That's too. fantastic. Thanks, I, didn't, I wasn't aware it was coming on Tubi. I'm going to put the uh, – well, I'll be blasting this out on Friday on the 17th, but I will definitely have the, oh, yeah. Tubi, the direct Tubi link for everybody. And, Incredible. Uh, I appreciate that. Yeah, man. Yeah, exactly. No, seriously. You worked hard for four years. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) We really did. You've earned it. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, and you know, you're right. We really are at this, like, interesting turning point in the state of independent cinema. You know, like you said, audiences are flooded with options. You have all these streaming services, and many of them are expensive. And so I do think Tubi is growing in popularity because audiences know it's where they can find movies 
made by filmmakers with distinct voices. You know, everyone's looking. It's at the end of the day, the price isn't the thing that governs everything. It's just where can you find art that speaks to you? And on Tubi, there's so much out there, and because of the mod, the business model there, they can afford to put up a film like Cram, which you know maybe wouldn't be able to see the light of day on Netflix. And I think that Absolutely. audiences are going to keep responding to that. You know, I mean, look, Tubi just had a Super Bowl ad, right? Yeah, it did freaked us out. We're like, hey, yeah, you know, exactly. we. we, we <laughs> We thought Tubi had launched. We didn't know that the Roku was having a problem. Um, mm-hmm. No, but that, that was cool to see. I have a good friend of mine who's a stand-up uh, comedian, and he had a special. He, they ran it on Tubi. And he's, I don't want to get into the, all the behind-the-scenes stuff uh, with, with certain streaming sites like Netflix or whatnot, but there's, there's a lot of – they don't just say, hey, we'll put your thing up. You know, there, there's – the pie gets sliced, folks. <laughs> there's a whole – behind the curtain scenes with all this stuff. Um, but Tubi's pretty straightforward, as I understand it, you know. And uh, I think it's a good platform. It's free, <laughs> you know. Exactly. That's a good selling point. <laughs> it really is, yeah. That's the thing. And that's we. at the end of the day, when you're making movies at my level, like, uh, you know, independently, you just want people to watch it, like you said. And when it's free to watch, like you said, there's no excuse. Like, anyone can watch Cram. It's it's easy to watch. It's 45 minutes long. Um, I want people to have this experience. We're not we're trying to you know get rid of the barriers to entry, and make it as easy as possible for people to experience this movie. What's well, weird? It's a weird situation. Like with Amazon, I mean, a lot of these streaming companies now are, you know, they're not even picking up independent stuff. I don't. I think Amazon's back to it or leaning back to it because I think they realize how expensive just producing all your own shit is. But um, or, 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 you know, making your own stuff. But, mm-hmm. and, and, and frankly, they don't have the imagination that you guys, guys like you do, um, you know. You're going to get okay. the same thing over and over because they're like, because they're biased. They're like, this is what works. This is what works. So we have to do it 25 times in a row. No, we've seen the movie. Oh, totally. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? well, it's driven, exactly. And it's driven by the business, like you're saying. You know, when you are putting... $150 million on the line, there's only so much risk you can take because you can't afford to lose. But no. if you're making movies for cheap, then you can really take creative risks. And I think that, you know, filmmakers out there who have fantasies about making blockbusters, I mean, I share some of that. Obviously, I grew up on Lord of the Rings. I want to make big movies too. But I think that in order to do that well, then you have to start by making smaller movies. You know, you have to understand the business. And you, if you just jump into Hollywood filmmaking, I think that's not a path to make art, frankly. No, no. Well, you know, it used to be kind of based on the music business. You know, everybody, sure. I've said this quote many times. People, I'm like, you know, the Beatles had to record I Want to Hold Your Hand to get to the point where they could do the White Album. The cool thing yeah. about you independent filmmakers is you have the opportunity to make the White Album first. <laughs> yeah, no. And then if yeah, you totally. want to make, you know, it's, it's reversed. And it's, I think that's, that's very cool, you know, and you're, we're getting, I'll tell you the pandemic, it was a tragedy. I'm not making light of it at all, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but the thing is film, you independent film and filmmakers in general um, saved the day, saved us. I don't know how they did it in 1917, you know, because I don't know, I guess they did it with the, the great Gatsby and, um, the old man of the sea, but you know, there's only so many books you could read. Um, 
you know, we were watching, we were all locked down for however long it was, months on months, and we're watching movies, you know. Um, you guys yeah. saved us, <laughs> really, you know. Uh, Sanity-wise, at least. I don't know, you know. It's true. I, no, I it's, watching, it's really true. I start watching everything, you know. I, I My wife, of course, she's a little more mainstream, and, you know, I, I couldn't handle any the Tiger King. I tried to watch an episode with her, and I'm like, mm. I said, no, we got to watch something else. I can't deal with this. She's like, oh, have you heard of this show, Love Island? I'm like, no, we can't watch that either. <laughs> no. <laughs> I need some subtitles, damn it. Um, come on. Uh, because, you know, Cram wasn't out yet. You guys were editing it. Sure, exactly. Or, yeah, totally. Filming it at that point. No, you had already filmed. You'd already filmed before. The- yeah, we already filmed. Well, that's good, at least. But, you know, it's- yeah, totally. You know, like I said before, we made this movie – you know, to get our own nightmares out of our heads. But in the process of making it and, and sharing it with audiences, we've just learned over and over that we're not alone. And, and like like you said, you know, during the pandemic, people, I think, were really turning to movies and finding comfort and finding something of themselves in movies, being reminded, perhaps, of the power of cinema, which is, of course, uh, the sea that I'm always swimming in. But I think if you watch Cram and you see something of yourself, then that's really all that matters to me. Um, and... I hope that, you know, the movie can kind of help you unlock some door inside yourself, you know, see yourself differently or, or have a conversation that you might not have otherwise had. Um, and at the end of the day, like, I so appreciate, Jamie, you know, you giving me the chance to highlight the hard work and, and tremendous artistry of all of the people who have given so much to bring Cram to life because indie films are, are really labors of love. Nobody is making an indie film because it's a job. <laughs> Believe me, there are better jobs out there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I wanted, I wanted to mention, too, before we wrap things up, it was yeah. so funny before the end. Every show, I, I get so excited because I, we have such cool guests, uh, yourself included. Um, you know, I'm you. like, hey, good for a half hour. Here we are. We're going on an hour almost, you know. Um, but I did have to mention the makeup of the monster. Oh, man. Yeah. Great. I loved it. Chef kiss. It was fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I got yeah. to up. A uh, couple people there because it was such an incredible collaboration. This character, who we call the master of the books, is you know the monster in the movie, and mm-hmm. um, the special effects makeup was done by Beatrice Sniper, who's started, sort of developed a reputation already as a bit of a legend in the indie horror film space because she's such a wizard with practical effects and, and special effects makeup. Um, and I'd seen a short film that she had done at a, at a film festival for my previous film. And I thought the makeup was so incredible that I went up to the director and I said, I need the name of your makeup artist and found her that way. Um, And we brought her on specifically to do this character. And the actor who plays that character, Brandon Burton, has been a friend of mine for over 10 years. And uh, spoilers, but this character, this monster, speaks in iambic pentameter, speaks in verse. And Mm -hmm. that's a bit Mm -hmm. of a tough sell, I think, for some people. Um, And it, it really helps that Brandon is I think one of the premier Shakespeare actors of his generation. He's incredible. And uh, well, that character was such an incredible collaboration also with Alexander Nyman, who did the costumes and, you know, used the spines of old encyclopedias to, to come up with this really regal, almost papal robe. Yeah. And it it's so cool. And you would expect the master of books to speak in verse like that. You know, exactly. speaking normally wouldn't work. You know, and once you hear it, you're like, of course, of course, of course. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, that's who, you, that's who you're going to run into, um, you know, well, totally. if you do, uh, that's what you're going to see or hear. Amazing. 
and you know the tension in the film everything was just really well done really well done i um no i know i was looking at your imdb you don't yeah. this is like the first big one right under your belt yeah it really was um you know we've been i i don't work very quickly <laughs> which can be challenging uh when you're trying to you know make a name totally for yourself totally get it um, yeah. but totally thank you. yeah, um, but I do think that the benefit is that every movie I make is really a you know a huge level up in terms of quality and and my process, and I've really grown so much as an artist, obviously from making cram, but also since cram, you know I've been writing what I hope will be my next movie for a while um and uh, i actually I actually wrote uh, an original musical with the composer um Dan Rudin on cram because really? we really fell in love. Uh, we had, yeah, we developed an incredible collaboration on this movie, and I really do think his score is extraordinary. Oh yeah, it's um, great. It's great. And by the way, that was another kind of benefit of the pandemic. Uh, not to dive you know too deep into another story, but we would never have been able to uh, produce that score had it not been for the fact that all of these Broadway singers were shut in and had no work, and so we were able to assemble a <laughs> choir of Broadway singers. That's so ordinarily cool. wouldn't that have is, looked our way. Which is amazing because, folks, what you normally hear when you hear, you know, choral work or whatnot, a lot of times it's samples on a keyboard, you know, in a in a Fruity Loops or something, uh, a program. You know, no, these were actual people. That that's what makes it even richer and cooler. It's true. You know. Yeah. Well, Dan, I remember when we brought him on, we were talking about exactly that. We were talking about how, you know, we don't have the budget for a full orchestra or a full, or a full choir. And I said to him, I said, you know, we're going to have to do everything with software, but we have a little money for you to select a couple instruments, a couple singers maybe. And I remember he said to me, as long as the strings are real the, and the woodwinds are real, then I can make a software orchestra work. And wow. we recorded... We recorded violin, the violist, the cellist. Yeah, he really understands, you know, he, there's something for him in this score. There's something about the quality of the strings, the quality of the clarinet, um, and then, of course, the singers that I think brings a life to it. And Dan, otherwise, is such a genius with software instruments that he's able to make a full orchestra out of just a handful of real players. Well, and, you know, you don't want to do... And I'm not, hey, I'm not putting John Carpenter down. Everybody in the horror world, and myself included, loves John Carpenter. You know, but Escape from New York score would not work in this film. It's not that type of bad guy. (laughs) It's not that type of journey. It's true. Sam needed an orchestral score. That was something we were worried about, honestly, going into it, because we didn't have the money for it. Right. Well, it just... It just elevates the whole project, in my opinion. When you're watching it, you're like, wow. <laughs> you know, this film, now, I don't want to get into specifics or anything, of course, but what, in the film business, you hear this thrown around a lot, especially like people like me that don't know what the hell they're talking about. Uh, the, the term micro budget, would this be considered a mm-hmm. micro budget? I saw a number on IMDb, and I, I'm like, to me, that seems like a hell of a lot of money. You know, if I saw that in the street, I'd definitely pick it up. Um, but you're making a movie, man, you know, you're making a movie and I imagine that gets spent pretty quick, a budget. Oh yeah. I definitely think Cram would be considered a micro budget movie, maybe borders on low budget, but I think that the best way to think about it, you know, you've heard me say it's been almost four years, 
But if you just take that number and, you know, divide it by three years, divide it by 60 people, uh, I think you can pretty clearly <laughs> see that it's not very much money. <laughs> Nobody's buying infinity pools yet. But no, definitely not. Let me ask you this, Amy. Is, is, is the challenge now that people see that number and, and figure that out and see what a great piece of work you did, uh, you know, for future projects or like producers, like, well, look what he did with this, you know? Uh, oh, man, I mean, say, that's a great question. <laughs> I don't know. know. I mean, I hope, I hope that my hope is that anyone in that position, you know, any financiers or producers out there, my hope is that you can see, look at what my team did with this amount of money. Can you imagine what we could do with, right. you know, some money that we could live on, you know? And now, folks, a couple quick messages from some of our show sponsors. Stay tuned. We'll be back with the rest of the interview after these quick messages. Listen to this cool episode ad-free. If you're a VIP member, you can become one on my website, www.jamierocks.us, www dot j-a-m-i-e-r-o-x-x dot u-s Metal Babe Mayhem is more than just an online store, it's a destination. MetalBabeMayhem.com carries over 150 rock and roll products, including clothing, jewelry, and accessories. Metal Babe Mayhem also offers shrine clothing and alchemy gothic jewelry. In addition, Metal Babe Mayhem founder Allison Metal Babe Cohen is a rock and roll journalist who supports local and national artists with rock and reviews, interviews, playlists, networking, and more. Metal Bay Mayhem is taking over the world one shirt at a time. My Love Shack Apothecary online shop has everything you need to build a special gift for yourself or someone who needs a little pampering. I hand make all of the products in small batches using only plant-based ingredients and therapeutic grade essential oils. Whether you choose one of my curated sets or want to build a custom gift set, My Love Shack Apothecary has everything you need to send a little sunshine to someone today. Please visit us online at www.loveshackapothecary.com. That's www.love. S-H-A-C-K-A-P-O-T-H-E-C-A-R-Y dot com. As well as online on Instagram and Facebook. Links are in our website. Support for this podcast comes from the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. Ranked one of the top cancer centers in the nation for the last 27 years. The doctors at MD Anderson treat more rare cancers in a single day than many physicians see in a lifetime. And treatment plans are tailored to an individual patient's needs, allowing more comprehensive and thorough care. To become a patient, please visit makingcancerhistory.com. Aloha. If you have stress in your life or even anxiety and panic, I want to invite you 
to the Anxiety Coaches Podcast for a way out. The Anxiety Coaches Podcast is a relaxing and inspiring show, bringing you lifestyle changes to calm your nervous system and help you heal. Heal anxiety, panic, and PTSD for life. We bring you two episodes every week. There's no need to walk this path alone. Join us for a relaxing, informative, and inspiring time and start your journey out of anxiety panic. That's anxietycoachespodcast.com. Aloha. Rockscare, the online webshop of high-end luxury merchandise and products. All featuring original pop art paintings from La Holla to Miami to London www.merch.jamierocks.us Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of curious, you know, I was thinking about it. Yeah. It's, um, it's such a cool thing. It's, you know, and, and I don't know, there's something, I think there's this, this new resurgent, in, in, in movies and film, but I think it, it really happened during the pandemic, but it's happening now. I'm looking at the Cram um, IMDb page right now, and I'm seeing uh, at the top, I don't know what they, I'm sure there's some kind of weird advertising mm-hmm. term for this, but they've got the Dungeons and Dragons movie, and uh, oh, it's homoing it really hard and heavy on the page there, and uh, nothing to do with your film. But yeah. what I'm seeing is... Um, Amazon Prime member exclusive. Get your tickets. You can go see it in the theater, and you know you get a break if you're. And I'm like, man, are you just desperate, man? Are you just desperate to do anything to try to sell more tickets? You know, that's what it's coming across to me. You know, Um, but what they're I'm seeing what I'm what I'm seeing is a push to get people uh, to watch this film. And of course, you you know you're doing all this press and everything for your film now, which is totally normal. but, you know, I, I think you don't have to go to those – you don't have to do the gimmick stuff because you've got art. You've made art. You know what I mean? The movie Thank you. itself. And uh, I, really, I think that's cool. That really means a lot. And I really hope – you know, I believe if anything this last year of taking the movie around festivals has, has shown us is that there is an audience out there for this movie. There's an audience that really appreciates the work we've done. Um, so I'm really excited that we get to share it. And I do agree with you. I believe that there are plenty of people out there that this movie will speak to. Um, but it is hard. It's hard when you're an indie film to, to get the word out, just to make people aware that you exist. Um, but right. it's interesting to compare to a big blockbuster because, you know, that desperation that you feel, I think, is very real. You know, if a studio loses $200 million, they're in real trouble. Yeah. <laughs> Phone calls will be made. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Oh, and not fun ones. <laughs> Oh, it's crazy. No. It's crazy. But it's, you know, the cool thing is, is, is you've made this film. It's coming out. Are you guys, now, you've seen this movie. You edited this movie, you know, uh, with, with yeah. people. Um, you've, you've seen it a million times. Um, but are you going to do like a little premiere thing, do you think, on Friday? Are all your friends coming over to the house? And, uh, you know, you got to watch it again? It's so, yeah. Uh, it's so funny because I was talking to my partner, and, you know, she has been so supportive. Um, for so long now, and we had a very frank conversation of, you know, how many times can we really watch this movie? <laughs> and we've had to watch, you know, we've, I've attended, you know, every festival screening pretty much, um, and I do love sitting there with an audience to experience it, as, as nerve-wracking as that is. 
you learn so much about the movie when you're in a room with strangers who are watching it. And that's one of the, one of the unfortunate downsides of the streaming era is, you know, everyone out there watching it, I won't be able to experience it with them, um, which is why I do encourage people, you know, uh, I, I use Letterboxd and I encourage people to leave reviews of the movie, good or bad. You know, I'm just grateful that mm-hmm. people are having experiences. Um, because I think it's so important for that we're not making movies in a vacuum. But, yes, we are having a release party this weekend. We're getting the whole casting nice. crew together. Um, it's going to be a blast. I can't wait to see everyone again. Um, and, you know, uh, terror, our deal with terror is wonderful, and it's just a streaming deal. So to the degree that we can get theatrical distribution, I mean, we're working on it. Um, I'm really lucky to have some relationships in the independent film scene in New York, and I'm trying to leverage that into just getting the movie to play at some, you know, smaller art house theaters, at least for limited engagements, because I think the opportunity to give people, uh, the, the ability to give people the opportunity to see this movie on the big screen um, would be really special as well. Absolutely. And, you know, the cool thing uh, with working with someone like Tara and whatnot is people always ask, number, at least in my business, you know, in the podcast business, not my art business, but the uh, the podcast, it was so weird. Like everything, it was like, I'm like, man, I, I just really need, you know, I need to get on Spotify. I need to get on all these places. And then once I hit that, once a lot enough people had, had listened to the podcast, <laughs> I hit that 1,000th episode, man, everything changed like overnight, you know, wow. suddenly people were answering the phones and stuff, you know, it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah, you know, there know. are all these turning points, you know. Well, it's cool. And, you know, the cool thing is, is the festival thing. People don't, I don't think, outside of the business, they don't realize the festival things. That's a weird thing in, in that it's really cool, but it's really weird. People are like, like, I talk to people that don't know much about the movie business, and they're like, well, you just submit your movie to the festival, right? I'm like, yeah, with a check. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Totally. Um, it doesn't, you know. And they don't have to pick it, and they don't send the check back if they don't pick it. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. I'm, I'm pretty impressed that you've been on all these festivals, you know? I know that's Thanks, a lot of man. work. I appreciate it. It is. I mean, it's actually funny. It's kind of – it's very similar to applying to college in some ways, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and definitely, I don't want to cast any aspersions on the festival world out there because I think – Film festivals, in some ways, are the only institutions out there that are really giving indie filmmakers the opportunity to see their movies in theaters. But, you know, my hope right. in the future is that more and more festivals can think about how to comp- help compensate those filmmakers for their work. Maybe revenue sharing, you know, with ticket sales, anything would go a long way. Um, but at the end oh, of the day, Cram is really only coming out because of its festival success. You know, without the Austin Film Festival, we would not be coming out on Friday. Well, and that's where a lot of filmmakers, I think, pick up distribution and whatnot, you know, because that's you never know who's in the audience. And you know, the the other thing is, is um, you know, the big studios, uh, you know, Disney or whatever, they have focus groups. They pay people to watch stuff. What do you think? Should we take this out? Should we add this? You know, um, a lot of independent films they don't have that opportunity. You know. Um, not by the time you get to the festival, I would say it's pretty much done anyway. I believe, uh, you know, you're 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 not changing much, but that would be cool. I don't know. I always picture that movie with Johnny Depp, the Ed Wood uh, movie they made years ago, where he's in the theater mm-hmm. and playing his movie, you know, and he's like, he's into it, you know. It was a moment. Totally. A moment in the movie. 
that's cool, uh, man. Hey, Jamie, that quick, is cool. Yeah, thanks, man. Quick question for you. I know we've been taking a lot of time, um, but I just got a text from my buddy John Domino, who plays Mark, who said he called oh. in if you uh, wanted to pick up. <laughs> Let's see here. I'm not showing anything on my board. No. Um, All right. Well, never mind. That. Hold on. Hold on. Let me let me refresh yes. this page sure. here. If if I suddenly disappear, folks, we'll be right back. Um, we're gonna try to get sure, Mark appreciate right here. It. Hey, I think I got it. Two one six number. Hello, Mark. Hey, that's me. How's it going, Jamie? Hey, there he is. I'm so sorry, Mark. I don't know if I had to refresh the page. It wasn't showing up. So glad no you're on. Yeah, wow, I'm so John, glad nice to be here. Thanks for having Amy. Yeah, yeah man. absolutely, man. I'm so sorry we would have had you sooner. We got plenty of time, plenty of time, gentlemen. Mark, how was it working on a film? <laughs> oh man, working on the film was fantastic. I mean, it, it wouldn't trust me. If it wasn't as good of as an experience as it was, I wouldn't be listening to my director do a radio interview over the phone for 40 minutes, <laughs> hoping to talk. You know what I mean? Oh, <laughs> what? Well, it's great. And I, I, again, I apologize about that, Mark. I don't No, I no, love no, technology no. I, when it works. Um, of course. Hey, you were fantastic in this. You were fantastic. That's very kind of you. Thank you. Man, what a cool film. Man, yeah. you're going to be meeting all kinds of girls after making this movie. <laughs> no, oh, gosh. Don't, don't tell my partner Alyssa that. Jeez. <laughs> They'll be chasing you know, down I the wanna... street and be like the Beatles. Exactly. Yeah. You know, Jamie, John's really been such an incredible part of not only the movie, but the life the movie's had. He's come with us to every festival. He's really been a champion for Cram out there too. Um so nice. it's, yeah, it's cool to yeah, it's cool to have you. No, John, did did you know A B before the film or did you like meet through a casting agency? How did it come about? Well, this is a great story always, so I'm glad you asked. Technically the first time A B and I ever met, um I was in a I was in a festival. Oh, it was the Festival of Cinema NYC. I had a, I was in a short film that was in that um, festival, and AB had directed and written a short film that was also in that festival. They had a really wonderful award ceremony, um, and I ended up winning Best Actor at that festival that night. Wow. Um, and then one of AB's friends who was in that movie was a friend of mine through a theater intensive that we did together. So we saw each other at the thing. Um, his name, uh, oh, God, his name was Rolando. Um, but he came up and said, he introduced us and everything like that. And then A.B. actually ended up giving me a ride home that night. So that's how nice. A.B. and I would first ever meet at a film festival um, celebrating a little a little trophy win. Yes. Yeah, I just, I just want to add that I think that in general it's like a good vibe to, if, you know, you meet an actor – who happens to have won a Best Actor award that <laughs> night? Yeah, it's a good idea. Back in the back of Absolutely, absolutely. I had never been to a film festival, and then gosh, it's been about 15 years now. I was living in San Diego, and and they got a hold of me, and they I, I my day job is I I'm a portrait painter. I paint pictures of people and stuff like that, and oh, they awesome. um yeah 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 well you know you you do what you do um. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not very good at delivering pizzas. I'm good at that. So, you know, it works out. But, no, the festival got a hold of me, and they said, hey, we're having these, you know, these winners, uh, the people that we're, we're honoring, can you paint them? We'd like to give them a gift for coming to our festival, you know? That's cool. And I'm like, yeah. 
I can do that. And they're like, well, we can't pay you, but we'll give you VIP passes to all the parties what? and to all the events and everything. I'm like, I'm there. Sign me up. And so I went for the first day uh, or the first evening, and it became very quickly that I needed business cards, like stat. And I went to an all-night printing place in San Diego. They were stat. Oh, my gosh couple thousand business cards made and made sure I had those. And I told everybody I knew, uh, people in bands, and I'm like, every movie has a score. <laughs> you, know, you need to get to the film festival and uh, bring cards. And it's so weird because you never know the networking opportunities at these festivals is amazing, you know, and especially if you're making movies or in movies. Yes, get there. You don't know who you're going to meet. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, it's so That's true. Worth- true. You know, yeah, yeah. now, Amy, I wanted to ask you when you yeah. when you guys are putting the story together and you're like, okay, cram's going to be happening. Cr- checks have arrived. We're doing it, baby. We're doing it. What was was John the first person you thought of to play Mark? Great question. You know, we did a whole casting process, and I want to note that um, the friend that John mentioned earlier, Rolando, uh, actually helped us cast the movie and is also in the movie. Um, there's a movie within the movie that plays during Cram, an old movie, and Rolando plays the, the strapping young man in that movie, um, but, uh, which is a great part. He, he crushes it. Um, oh, yeah. But when we, were, when we were casting for the part, I, when I was writing the script, I did have John in mind. There was something about his energy that night we met that really captivated me. And I think I just felt that I could direct kind of channel this part through that energy. And I remember when we got a bunch of self tapes from actors auditioning for Mark and some of these actors, you know, have gone on to become real up and comers in in the New York city theater scene, especially. Um, But when I saw John's self tape, um, I mean, it was sort of undeniable. I think immediately it felt exactly like the character that I put on the page and, you know, something John does that I think is so incredible is he has an understanding that, you know, Mark spends so much of this movie alone, where his only mm-hmm. scene partner is the library, you know, around him. And right. he has to convey so much with so little. And it's crucial then that we, we as the audience can see the thoughts on his face. And I think the cool thing, one of the scenes I had John audition with was the scene in the movie early on where Mark discovers that his paper is missing. And during the callbacks, I remember John, you know, showed up and collected a bunch of props around him. And, you know, all the other actors had kind of done similar stuff with a bunch of business, mostly to try to, like, depict Mark's thoughts through the objects. They'd be like, where is my paper? It's not here. You know, very physically, very big. And what John was doing was a lot more subtle and a lot more true, which was this sort of expression of, like, oh, no, my paper is missing. Um, (laughs) But rather, no, 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 my paper can't be missing. And he was looking for it everywhere rather than, like, freaking – I don't know. It was hard – saying it makes it sound stupid because it wasn't dialogue. But it was so clear and easy to understand and so nuanced and subtle and, like, emerged from the inside. I I often say that John kind of acts from the inside out. And it's such a gift that you can see all the thoughts on his face. Um, I'll say something insane, John, uh, that you're going to yell at me for later. But it has been said by some that John Domino is the fourth no. Uh, you no. know, we know Brando, we know De Niro, we know Pacino, but Domino, Domino's number four. Oh my there God. There you go. There you go. <laughs> well, you know, John, you're doing it, man. Now, what was your reaction when you got the the lead, you know? 
that's got to be a oh. cool feeling. Yeah, of course. Very exciting. And um, it was my first real, like, major – I mean, it was a short at the beginning, and it became a feature, but I, it was still either way. It's my first major, like, carry the film style lead part um, that I had in film. I had, I had done a lot of theater work um, previous to this, so I was – um, a veteran of the stage, but a little bit newer behind the camera. Um, and so it was very exciting. It was very nerve wracking. Um, but I think all in all, I trusted, um, after having met AB at the audition and the team and, and talking with them and everything. And then especially as you guys were talking about earlier on in the show, um, how AB does rehearsals. When I found out that we would actually be taking the time to rehearse, um, I just had so much trust in, uh, AB and in and Brandon, my my uh, fellow actor for so many of the scenes, and um, just the whole like crew together that they cared about the work that the way I did, that I knew that mm. I didn't have to. While I, visually like you're seeing my face most of the time, so in that essence I carry the film. I knew that it wasn't really like on my shoulders in that way, and I could let that um, ego scare go and just kind of enjoy the process and. And and lean on people when you needed leaning. You know that's what uh, that's why it's a team it's a team gig, man. AB said that a bunch though, so I won't say it too many times more. <laughs> no, but it's it comes through and it works. It works. Whatever you guys did, keep doing it. You know on <laughs> Thanks, that man. project Thanks. because Thanks, that works. Um, that's very that's very true, cool. You know. Yeah, you make lifelong friends through this process if you do it humanely. You know, if you remember that the people making a movie are people and that they're there, again, because they also care and want to tell stories, then you can walk away with really meaningful relationships. John and I, we've been, you know, John's been helping me develop the next movie I've been writing um, and because I really value John as a storyteller. It's not that John is only an actor in Cram. You know, he's, he's telling a story. He's a vessel through which stories are told. That's what a great actor is. And, I, you know, I... I now I'm lucky to consider John one of my dear friends. That's and awesome. I, you, A.B. That's awesome. Thanks, man. And he's not, <laughs> John's not going over to Twitch just to stream. Um, you know, I, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I'm just reading an article about that. Um, yeah, it's funny you say that, though, because I did kind of start a Twitch channel relatively recently, but that's okay. It's a different thing. <laughs> Those producers, man, I'm telling you, you got to watch out for them producers. That's <laughs> yeah, true. Um, no, I'm not making. Actually, folks, don't send me emails on that because that's a very serious thing. You know, I feel I can't remember the actress's name. The gal from Stranger Things. But I just read an article about it. She was like, "I'm done with acting. Done with acting." Had a producer. Oh, wow. It wasn't cool. Yeah, yeah, I saw and, that. Uh, very sad story. You know, you you just you, you think to yourself, ah. Stranger Things, doing pretty well, <laughs> you know. Bought Kate Bush in the swimming pool. Um, <laughs> you might want to rethink that. That's all I'm saying. Get rid of that producer, folks. Come on. Anyway, anyway. Um, well, this is cool. So let me ask you both, since I've got you on the horn here. I, I know we're promoting, you know, we're promoing Cram, and we want we're, everybody's going to watch it on Friday. Are the gears turning? And I know how you, you know, movie folk can be. Sometimes you can't mention upcoming projects. But is there stuff in the works that we should be, you know, on the lookout for? Yeah, I mean, thank you for asking. You know, um, I've been working on a script for what I hope will be my next movie for a, a long time now. Um, and John has been helping me develop that story. Uh, and mm -hmm. that movie is, unlike Cram, that movie is a romance. 
Um, however, oh. I think horror and romance are very related genres. Um, and <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> at least in my past. <laughs> exactly. And uh, that movie is really, yeah. you know, it's about um, it's about this this woman who is um, having an affair with a married man, and uh, mm. tragically he dies while choking on a hot dog at a fast food hot dog restaurant called Thick Dog. Mm. And um, the because it was an affair, you know, she has to bury the relationship, she has to bury the secret of the affair and hide her grief and bury her shame. And because she has no one to express what she's going through with, no one to help her process this trauma, she turns to the only person available to her, uh, the Thick Dog brand account on social media. Um, mm. And, you know, what begins as a very contentious relationship with them, yeah, it'll evolve into, you know, a deeper connection and ultimately a romance. And I think it's really a romance for, for our time. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. It's cool that it's not the same thing that we've seen 87 times. I like it. I like Definitely. it. You know, Hell yeah. I think that Hell anyone who's, yeah. who watches Cram, anyone who's interested in, in, you know, our work moving forward, I do tend to tell stories about people who are just like yearning for something beyond themselves, but find themselves trapped in whether material conditions or a society that, that really doesn't allow for transcendence in some ways. Um, and the experience of trying to reconcile those two things, it's there in Cram, it's there in my short films, it's, it'll be there in everything I do because I think that's the experience of being alive. <laughs> so, um, you know, if you like Cram, then uh, the next thing's definitely for you. And the cool thing is we're now talking in a world where everything, everywhere, all at once swept the Oscars. And, you know, right. whatever you think about that movie, I think it represents an incredible sea change um, for Hollywood and Hollywood embracing movies made by young, ambitious artists who are pouring their hearts out onto the screen. Um, and so, you know, I think anyone who gets behind our next movie will, uh, now I can say we'll probably win a bunch of Oscars. No, well, there you go. Yeah. And, and it's not a crazy statement, you know? Um, yeah, exactly. It, it can happen, uh, you know? It's, and it's, it's weird it's it's funny because I kind of follow a little bit of the uh, the YouTube people. Um, I don't know why, but I, there's short it's short videos, and I, I put them on when I have my lunch. And you know the thing is is you get all of these people that are like we're bitching about that the uh, uh, everything all at once and everything, but they're all like you know hardcore Marvel people, and I'm like yeah, mm. you know you get excited about the same story told with a different parasites you know i mean it's the same thing over yeah. and over are you kidding me um you know so it's hard for me to wrap my head around that but of course you know everybody's art subjective everybody's into what they're into but how about you uh john are you are you no other than this project are you uh you know doing some other stuff yourself yeah well um i think the biggest thing that i'm trying to do right now is behind the scenes i'm trying to get on the sequel to the Viral cult cult classic film, The Velocipaster. Um, oh yeah, we had, which if you've uh, never, we had the director on. No way, you, you talked to Brendan. Up. Yeah. Incredible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, I have a and few it, connections, and I'm trying to work them to get myself uh, a part in Velocipaster too. So we'll see how it goes. But uh, yeah, no word yet. That's awesome. Well, yeah. I got his email. Maybe I'll send him an email when we get done here, you know? <laughs> Time is fast. So my in-laws, 
they were of a certain age, and I love them to death and everything, but they really couldn't wrap their head around the whole podcast. They're like, what the hell do you do? Just talk about movies to strange? I said, yeah, that's, that's what I do. Um, and so they were all coming over for dinner. Uh, you know, we do have dinner once a month or something where they come over sure. here. Otherwise, we go to their house and they can buy the food. But anyway, they were coming over, and uh, I said, well, here's one of the movies I was talking about, <laughs> you know, we were talking about. And I put, and they're like, oh, yeah, let's watch a movie. And I put on the, and the, the, the rest of the story is they're both very Catholic. <laughs> yeah. Like, You'll love this. This is right. Oh, my God. <laughs> I said, he's, he's a man of the claw, not the cloth. You'll love it. Man of the claw. You got it, man. I'm looking at the poster yeah. above my computer right now. That's hilarious. <laughs> I'm telling you. I love it. But for the record, they, they weren't. Uh, they weren't big fans, and um, I think I told Brendan that. <laughs> like, but it wasn't made for them. That's the thing. So don't don't think that's a failure. Yeah. Um, you know. <laughs> but yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, any I do very best of luck on that. I didn't even know they were making people right now. That's cool. They did. Yeah, yeah. They they did a big crowdfunding campaign to raise a bunch of money, and uh, it, it was a success. So, thus in the works. Amy, did you guys do crowdfunding for uh, Cram? Yeah, we did. Um, we wow. we did a big Kickstarter campaign a little like a year and a half ago. It was you know a tremendous success. Um, it was such an amazing opportunity to really introduce the movie to our community. Um, and the reality is, uh, you know, independent movies are going to be made by friends and family, and mm. if you can really engage your own community, then you can find often the resources. You know, people want to make art and people want to support the artists in their life. Um, I think some filmmakers are scared to crowdfund because they think of it as something, an obligation. They think, oh, I don't want to ask someone for money. But, you know, what I've learned right. from making movies and crowdfunding is people want to give you money. They want to support the arts. Everyone out there who's working some day job in some office wishes that they could be making a movie. And so when they see someone they care about doing it, of course they want to support that. Um, it's just an amazing Absolutely. Have that experience. Yeah. I felt that way with uh, with uh, Patreon, my, and my wife mm. finally, she'd been after, after me forever to do one, and I'm like, ah, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. It's as you would as you would, um, and to speak your language, it's off brand for me. And she's like, yeah. No, it's not. It's totally brand free. It's a VIP room at a club. Are you kidding me? I'm like, Ah, that's what we'll call it. Great. <laughs> and you know, the thing is, is yeah, you know, people. You know, I, I turned around on it. I've never done a crowdfunding. I've known a lot of people who have. And uh, I, I know I have a good friend of mine. She's made seven albums that way. And, um, wow. you know, but she told me, because I was like, you know, what's the what's the skinny on it? And she's like, that's like having another job. <laughs> you know, you got to stay on top of it. Big time, you know. But, Amy, you've already told me how attention to detail you are on everything else. So, you know. You got that. I can see that happening, you know. Thanks, man. I appreciate um, that. Yeah, I remember, I think the first crowd, that's one of those things I wish I would have thought of the idea um, because, man, what a cool thing. Back after I got out of college, I moved to San Diego, and, like, everybody I knew was in the film business. So the t they were trying, you know, and trying to make movies. And every weekend somebody was having a party, a crowdfunding party, but there, this was before kick, this was before computers uh, that everybody had at home, 
they would just have a party and I would donate a painting. I donated probably a hundred paintings to people um, trying to raise money to get, you know, to make film. Um, but yeah, that's a cool thing, man. Got crayon made. How cool is yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. It's true. It's amazing. <laughs> you know? It's an amazing thing. And it's a, yeah, that's and it's a muscle, you know, you get, you get your people, you get the people in your world, you know, used to the idea that, making art isn't it's something they they can be a part of and they'll be happy to be a part of it. It's really a community effort. Oh yeah. And it you know, it's perks. I, I have a good friend of mine, my friend Amy, she is a horror nut. She's one of those people you don't want to watch a horror movie with because she's kind of annoying. Um, in that she's like, That guy's flame didn't explode the right way. And she's one of those. And I love her to death, don't get me wrong. Amy, if you're listening, which I'm sure you probably are, you're you're the top. But I remember she got so excited. She had invested money in the Paranormal Activity uh, movie when that first came out. Oh, wow. And at the, yeah, and at the end, they did like, I don't know, it was like 2,000 people. They went through super quick, and she stopped the thing on the, you know, and she's like, there's my name. Oh, my God, I'm part of it. And she was ecstatic, you know. That was the coolest thing ever for her. And I'm like, you know, I, I think that same feeling – goes through the whole crowdfunding concept. You know, people dig it. I would, you know. Yeah. That's pretty hey, cool. Jamie, I'm so sorry cool. to talk real quick, but I got to head out. Um, oh, Thank okay. you for having me on the show, though, and taking my call. Um, Absolutely, I had a great time. John, John yeah, I'm going to reach John, out to day. you. Yeah. And we're going to do a, because you didn't get to do the whole experience, but I'm going to, I'm going to bug you until you come on the show again. And I don't know, we'll just talk about movies or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. That sounds We'll figure great. it out. My people will Love talk it. to your people, John. Uh, that's <laughs> good. This will actually happen, folks. My uh, people is my cat, Stephanie, so she'll take care of it. She'll <laughs> handle the email. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, John, you know, for, for years. Uh, jumping in. Of course. Oh, thanks, John. You rock. All right, Ross, you're cool. Have a good one. You Bye. too. Take care. No, I see why you chose him as the leading man. He's cool. Yeah, he's, he's a good, very he's a good cool. guy. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I, I was laughing when you were talking about your cat. For years, I, uh, you know, I've done all kinds of businesses and stuff over the years. I'm an old man. And back when I was doing a lot of real estate, you know, buying and flipping stuff and whatnot, I had a, a mystery partner named Sarah, and, uh, you know, she was the deal breaker. We'd, I'd be doing a deal with somebody, and I'm like, I don't know if I can get this past Sarah. You know, she's, she's a, a real witch, <laughs> and I don't know if she'll go for it, you know. Well, <laughs> I could do this. Well, she might go for that, you know. And, um, no, there was no, never a Sarah. She didn't exist. <laughs> she was just my go-to. you got to have a witch on the team, you know. Um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he was my yeah. <laughs> invented producer. Let me put it that way. <laughs> you know, you know oh, it's, all, it's all invented until you just make it happen. I'm telling you, you got it. But you did, and it's coming out this Friday, folks. This Friday, this Friday. and you can watch it for free on Tubi. How cool is that? That's right. How cool is that? Now. People can get physical copies too, right? You're going to be releasing physical copies somewhere because they're going to hunt you down at these festivals and cons and stuff. Oh man, find it. I hope so. You know, it'll happen if people want it. Um, we don't have a physical distribution deal at the moment, but I would love. We have so much amazing behind-the-scenes content. We have, 
you know, we have deleted scenes. We have a ton of stuff we could put on a physical release. So if people oh. are, are interested, you know, hit us up. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram. And, um, yeah, I'd love, to, I'd love to put a physical release together. Well, your monster is so cool. I don't even want to call him the monster. The master. The master of the, the library, of the books. It's such a cool concept and such a cool – you know, you could do, like, anthology, like horror anthologies where he, like, reaches up and picks a book and says, here's a tale, you know, and then it goes into, like, some story. Or he, he almost is, is like, Crypt Keeper level. You, you know, you could parlay that into something like that, I think. Just an idea. Just an idea. He's cool. Sure. That's all I'm saying, you know. Yeah, totally. No, I'd love that. We got to get you a, a Halloween deal where people are making rubber masks for him, you know? Oh, I want to see him come to my house. Um, so true. I want to design the character. Too. That was the goal. You know, we want, I always want, you know, when you're making a monster in a, in a movie, you have the opportunity to design a Halloween costume. So that's something we talked about with our collaborators. It's awesome. See, why does that not surprise me? Maybe you're on it, man. You, you're on it. You, you know it. Thanks, man. You I know? appreciate it. That's cool. Well, hey, I've kept you way longer than the half hour uh, we <laughs> talked about, but I'll let you go. You know, your wife's probably sure. like, come on, man, we got things to do. We're going to my parents. Let's go. Um, no, I'm <laughs> kidding. Uh, or your partner, I should say. I said your wife. I meant sure. your partner. Uh, no but, yeah. No. Well, look, Jimmy, I appreciate you taking the time. It's You know, we're so excited the movie's coming out, and uh, it's such a gift to be able to talk to anyone and especially someone as, as passionate as you are about the movie. So I appreciate it. Oh, absolutely, man. Absolutely. And I live in the seventh borough of New York, uh, Florida, South Florida. So, okay. um, you know, <laughs> next time you're down here, <laughs> you know, let me know. Drinks are on me, baby. Uh, we'll, we'll oh, yeah, time. absolutely. Um, Sounds great. I suggest February is a good time to visit, <laughs> you know. Perfect. That sounds the that like, Yeah, it's a terrible no. time in New York. So. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you telling you yeah okay folks that's going to wrap it up for us um i will be reminding everybody on all my social media on march 17th when this drops um hey and speaking of which uh my guest from yesterday um april white's documentary back to the drive-in is out today so um yeah i'll be blasting that out a little later and um yeah so i will be doing that this episode is going to be converted to a podcast that's where we add the commercials and all that in there and um yeah, we'll see you uh, tomorrow. No, we'll see you on Thursday. We've got a fantastic guest coming on, um, Anthony Aiken. They do this cool YouTube channel where they go around. It's like a tra- they're, what I guess the term is travel influencers on YouTube there. And uh, him and his family. And, yeah, very, very – I learned about them because we were looking uh, – we were going somewhere, and I, I said, well, what do we need to see there? And I YouTubed it, and um, – they came up and been watching their videos ever since. And I don't even have kids. It's amazing. They're just really good videos. Okay, folks, we will see you then. Have a good one. Hey, and remember, folks, we have links up. Go over there and add, um, you know, uh, well, it's, man, how do I say this? Uh, Rad R. Hino. Oh, yeah. Uh, Rad Rhino. And so it's Rad Rhino. Rhino. What am I? Um, so Rad Rhino. That's R-A-D-R-H-I dot N-L. I like that. I like that. And, of course, on Instagram and Twitter, it's just, uh, you know, Abby Dell. I don't know what he he got rid of the S-I in there, but um, it's there. Uh, Add and like, you know, share. 
and help get the word out. We will see you next time, everybody. Thank you, Abby. You 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 were you rock. You know, you rock. Thanks, Jamie. Appreciate your time. Talk to you soon. Later. This has been Pop Art Painter Jamie Rocks' Pop Rocks Radio Talk Show. It has been executive produced by Jamie Rocks, recorded at his studio in Deerfield Beach in South Florida. All rights reserved by Pop Rocks Limited for broadcast on Blog Talk Radio. Tana Oli Pop Rocks Radio. Estás escuchando Jamie Rocks de Pop Rocks Radio. Manténganse al tanto. Hey, det här är Hicks från Sverige och ni lyssnar till Pop Rocks Radio med Jamie Rocks. Blog Talk Radio.